Well, welcome everybody uh, to another show of Inside Curling. We're into February. Uh, this just in, there's a bunch of curling, Kevin, going on over the next couple of weeks, and uh, you're racking up the air miles. Okay, do you ever stay home, Kev? Where, <laughs> where, where, where? Thank goodness there's lots of curling on. That's great. Yeah, where are you now, Kevin? Where, what part of the world? I'm in uh, I'm in Connecticut, getting ready to cover the uh, the Olympics for NBC. So uh, just got here and excited and ready to go. I love the Olympics. Right on. Uh, Warren, you managed to uh, kind of piss me off this week, sending me pictures of you at a golf range, okay? Well, I'm in minus 14, okay? Yeah, I thought that would get you. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. It's nice, Kevin. You know, he's just every opportunity he gets, Kevin. So, I don't know, this will bother Jerome. I'm going to send him this. We're back. We're back. We're back to talk all kinds of curling this week with, with special shows and a bunch of other stuff that we're going to do. So stick around. Inside Curling is coming up right now. Last Rock, eighth end, up by two. I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm white. I don't think you are either. Oh, oh. it's clean. Oh, don't oh. kill it, Ben. Don't kill it. Don't kill it. Line's really good. Line's good. Right on the button, guys. Right Last here. stone for Kevin Martin. They want it on the button. The sweepers are watching it. Fans are on their feet. <laughs> Kevin Martin goes out as a champion. Cuts him to one. He will win his final Grand Slam, taking the Players' Championship. Talk about putting an exclamation mark at the end of a career. All he had to do was cut him down. Kevin Martin can celebrate. He is a champion. So here we go. Uh, boy, these are, like I said, these are a big couple of weeks. Uh, first of all, we'd like to really thank our sponsors, uh, Sports Interaction, who brings you what is happening around the curling world, Nestle Boost, the sponsor of Mailbag, Coyote Tractors on board with us, sponsoring Hot Rock Topics, and Storytime. We get something a little different each uh, week, and that is brought to you by Meridian. And our guest, which we have a lot of, is brought to you by Goldline Curling. We also like to tell you right now, starting... February 1st, we're going to be bringing you up to date with everything that is happening at the games in Beijing. This segment is going to be called Daily Draw. Kevin, I noticed yours and my suggestion for what it should be called never made it off the ground. Okay. It ended up on the cutting room floor. I thought our, I thought our, we had great ideas, Jim, but yes, they were on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Everyone laughed. I never, I never made it. So Daily Draw, uh, it should be available for download each day about about 1 o'clock Eastern, and for the first time, a number of shows will be on video, okay? So we've got to clean up, you guys, but there's a lot more. For all of you that might be interested in placing a wager on the games, we are going to have some special information for you where you're going to be able to do that. The first episode on February 1st, we will do a rundown of the 10 nations in the event and provide you with our picks. So stay tuned as we're really excited about this and bringing you Daily Draw with the latest all the time, what's happening from Beijing. Here's what's on the show today. Happening around the curling world, the Scotties is underway. They pulled it off. It's up in Thunder Bay. We're going to take a look at what's going on there. And, of course, things are getting underway in Beijing, and we're going to touch on everything uh, at the games and what's coming together. It changes by the minute, but touch wood, it's, it, it should be okay. Uh, Hot Rock, Brad Height has brought an interesting idea to our attention, and we're going to discuss that Uh Mailbag, 
insidecurling at gmail.com if you want to get a hold of us. And uh, we've got one for sure uh, today that we're going to at least get to and maybe another one. It's a very interesting note about the importance of the hammer in the first end when two of the best teams meet in a game head on. And in the house, brought to you by Goldline, and our guest today is going to be Reed Carruthers. Love Reed, by the way. And then, Kev, we're going to get uh, story time. It's coming from you, Kevin. There's lots of stories. It's just how many can I tell? <laughs> and in, and in a show, can you tell? <laughs> what do you do, Kev, when you're relaxing? Well, I can't. I can't. Uh, you know, we, we tried to ask Warren, Warren that. What do you do, Warren, when you're not doing curling? He said, I don't know. I've never done anything besides curling all the time. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, insidecurling at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We read a bunch of emails all the time, and, uh, and they give us great ideas for the show. All right, let's get to it. What's happening around the curling world? Brought to you by Sports Interaction, providing competitive odds on all sports. Sports Interaction is Canada's odds maker, and you've got to be 19 and responsible to play. The Scotties is underway in Thunder Bay, uh, and there have been some interesting things that have happened so far. Uh, Warren, bring us up to speed on everything. All right, Jim. Well, I guess the first thing we need to mention, many people probably are aware, but uh, a little bit of a surprise before the event started, two people tested positive for COVID, and one was Tracy Fleury, the skip of the number one team in the world. So that was a bit of a shock to that team, and... Uh, had to change their lineup, and of course, uh, that's going to impact any team when you lose a skip. And the other person was a coach, Mark Lang, who is the coach of Saskatchewan. So I think Tracy is maybe going to be back today, if not possibly tomorrow. So that team will be glad to, to know that that's happening. But so far, we're into day four. Let's take a look at the two pools. Pool A, interesting things going on there. Uh, journeyman team, Andrea Crawford from New Brunswick as leading the pack at the moment uh, with three wins. But not far behind her are Emma Miscu, Tracy Fleury, and Northern Ontario's Kristen McCarville. And all three of those teams, I think, are going to gain momentum as the as the week goes on. Of course, Miscu and, and Fleury are dealing with new skips, so they're getting their, their feet under them. But I think you can look as things progress that those teams are all going to be in the mix as we get close to the end. In Pool B, probably the class of the field so far, and, and no surprise, is Kerry Einerson. That team is playing very well from what I've seen, particularly third Val Sweeting has had some outstanding games. But interesting, just behind Heinerson uh, at the moment is the young team from Manitoba, Mackenzie Zacharias. And uh, again, I look at that team to really have a great future in front of them. Maybe a little young yet, but so far they're doing pretty well. As is Laurie St. George's from Quebec, a team that did very well in the Scotties last year. And so far they've shown some strength as well. Along with Nova Scotia and Alberta are also still in the heat of things on Pool B. So a little early yet, but uh, things are rolling along. Seeming to be a little bit of an issue of some kind. Maybe the teams have a lot of rust. I don't seem to see, hear anybody complaining about uh, ice or rock issues. So I think it's maybe just the fact that uh, people really haven't got their, their feet under them yet. There's no fans in the building, which because of the COVID rules in Ontario. Interesting announcement by Curling Canada. Apparently they were approved to have five people, 500 people in the building for the closing weekend. But because of the complications that would cause, have chosen not to do that. So I know, Kevin, you haven't had a chance to see a lot of this, but uh, what do you think at this point? Yeah, well, I certainly like the uh, how New Brunswick's doing. Andrea Crawford actually came out and played uh, out of the Savile Sports Centre, played in Alberta for a little bit. So not a big surprise, a fantastic curler. 
but just doesn't play as much as what you know some of the teams do. But <laughs> lately, who has played much? None of the teams have played very much. So it could be one of the years where uh, we get some surprises. Uh, New Brunswick playing really, really well. On the other side, Nova Scotia is really rolling along as well. Now, but keep in mind that uh, she's beaten uh, the territories and BC, both teams, you know, not not probably favored to get to the final four. Uh, losing only to Kerry Anderson. So Nova Scotia's got a tough road ahead as far as who they have to play, but they're playing well so far, which is great. And Quebec, that's somebody that I I, I think is really good. <laughs> I'm, I'm not surprised that they're doing well at all. Like, I just think they're a really good team. So, no, it looks good to me. It's great that the Scotties is able to happen. Unfortunately, no crowd. But from an ice maker's point of view, you know, they'll keep control of that building. I think you're going to see conditions stay really, really good. I just think you're right, Warren. I think there's some rust on the players, which there should be. People just haven't been able to play as much as normal. So, But by the end of the week, I think they'll all get a feel for it, and it'll be fantastic. Kev, tell me this. You've played on the world stage uh, this just in. Kevin Martin's a really good curler. And so we've got the national championships here uh, for the women. What's the biggest thing, Kev, going into these big events that you told your team, or if you were to tell other teams who are there for the first time, for example, what would you say to them they gotta they got to try and tackle during that 10 days? Patience is a big one. Uh, because you never know if you're going to get off to a good start or not. And and that's always kind of an unpredictable. You don't really know the ice. You don't know the rocks, the building, the tendencies, and uh, and, the, and the pressures too, if you're, if you're new to it. Um, being patient, if you lose the first game or so, or you, know, you're, you start out the week, one win, two losses, something like that, no sweat. Just get, you know, at the end of the week, it's funny, and Jules always said, just shoot 90 and you're going to win, Skippy. And that's kind of the truth. Like if, if you look at the end of the week, the teams that are winning – and you look at their shooting percentage, it's the teams with the highest shooting percentage that are winning. It doesn't, that's the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you have a couple of weak games at the start, hey, it's no problem. Bring those percentages up. Just worry about one shot at a time. And, and magically enough, you'll be in the playoffs. That's just the way it works. So it's all about numbers. It's a, it's a simple thing. Just got to shoot 90. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that's good yeah you want to win a golf tournament shoot 65 that, that'll uh that'll do it for you um sports interaction our sponsor we did this uh our last show uh has posted the odds for the scotties so all three i've got to try and remember what my picks were uh, all three of us have made a couple of predictions one is our lock uh prediction and the other one is a bold perhaps an underdog or uh, who you think is going to come out so let's see how our predictions are doing so far. Warren, can you remember who you picked? And can you remember who I picked? And can you remember who Kevin picked? I have them all written down if you guys need help. (laughs) Oh, oh, you do? Okay, all right. I'll go first. So my number one pick kind of gave me a surprise because that was Flurry and the fact that she's not playing. Um, So, I mean, they're still hanging in there. They're doing pretty well for for Selena stepping on the tee head for the first time. So they're still doing okay. My long shot is having some trouble. They haven't played badly, but they haven't been able to pull it together yet, which is Team BC, Marianne Ersnow. But I had kind of another intermediate one in there that's, again, doing okay, and that was Team Manitoba, the young Zacharias team. So I'm kind of so-so in there. Kevin, how about you? Yeah, well, uh, my picks uh, were uh, Laura Walker as a lock, and they're doing just fine, playing uh, just fine. They had uh, Laura had a draw to the eight-foot in, I believe it was the first game against Quebec, and uh, it's still going. Now, that was unfortunate, but doing well. And then uh, my second pick was Quebec 
I called it sort of a long shot, but it's not a long shot. That's just a really good team and they're doing well also. And uh, so I like my two picks. They're doing just fine. I expect both of those teams to be in the in the playoffs later in the week. To your point, I'm a bit surprised with BC as well, just really struggling. <laughs> I just looked at... Uh, uh, at the line score here, and they just lost, and uh, because of course we tape this, so they they just lost to Nova Scotia as we speak, you guys. So uh, BC's in, oh, well. in in big trouble, no question about that right now. Yeah, it's four losses. Yep, without question. So Jim, can you remember now? What what I do remember is I thought I picked all those teams that you guys just <laughs> picked. You, you picked you picked Team Flurry, and you picked uh, Team Holman with Emma skipping. Yeah, and how are they doing so far? Hmm? Pretty good. Hmm? Hmm? <laughs> they're, they're doing okay. I'm doing okay. They're still hanging in there. <laughs> Boy, would it ever be something fantastic for a guy who's never thrown a rock if I if I beat you guys in this thing? I would love that. We'll keep watching for that and see how the Scotties ends up. It's it's well underway, of course. Speaking of under getting underway uh, in Beijing at the games in a couple of days, with the mixed doubles are going to happen on February first. Uh, we're going to bring you a preview show with our picks, amongst other stuff. In the meantime, uh, let's see how things are going. Uh, Kevin, you're in Connecticut, Greenwich, where you're going to be calling the U.S. games for NBC. How are things there, Kev, first of all? What's, what's your setup there? How do you do it? We do a lot of events out of NBC studios. I'm actually in, in Greenwich, but that's a, just a few minutes away from Stamford, Connecticut, where, uh, where we call the games at uh, the sports studios for NBC. And it's a beautiful facility, uh, huge, uh, tons of studios. And uh, we do it off of, off of video, so we get the, the feed coming from Beijing and then call the games accordingly through a producer, director, and, uh, and Jason Knapp. Uh, who I've worked with for, Jesus, it's got to be eight years uh, that Jason and I have worked together. So we have a lot of fun. It's, it's, it's a really uh, well done with great crews down here. And the mixed doubles. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, the last Olympics, there's John Morris, uh, a real top player, and uh, Magnus Negergotten, of course, from Norway, uh, a second off of a top men's team. And he had the Hamiltons. But not a lot of what you would call your top tour players were in the mixed doubles last time, but that's not the case anymore. If you just look at, you know, I'll just quickly go across a few of the teams. Uh, Great Britain, of course, out of Scotland, uh, Bruce Mowat and, uh, and Jennifer Dodds, both tremendous players on their men's and women's teams, as well as really good at mixed doubles. Uh, Almeida Devel and Oscar Eriksson out of Sweden, a really tough team. Chris Plies, Vicky Persinger, of course, both really good tour players of the U.S., and uh, Rachel Holman, of course, and Johnny Mole out of Canada. Don't need to talk about them much. <laughs> Everybody knows who they are. You've got out of Norway, um, I mentioned Magnus uh, Negergotten and Kristen Skaslian, a really good mixed doubles team. They play mixed doubles a ton. And the Swiss pair of Jenny Perret and uh, Martin Rios. Really strong teams. Um, there's so much depth. Tali Gill and, uh, and Hewitt out of Australia. I believe are going to play better than people give them credit. Um, they have to play, actually play Australia. I have to play the U S in draw one. Um, one thing I wanted to mention just to get the mixed doubles off is, uh, Bruce and Jennifer Dodds, Bruce Mowat and Jennifer Dodds. They have to play Sweden in game one, and then they have to play Canada in draw two. So what a tough start for those teams. Like that could be really right away 
you know, Great Britain is either f- flying high with, with a couple of wins or they could be right, you know, going, ooh, cliffhanging almost right away if they managed to not win those t- first two. It was really important for uh, Great Britain to get off to a good start with having to play two of the favorites right off the bat. Well, the, the way things are going for Bruce Mode, he doesn't find many teams very tough, Kev, what he's been doing <laughs> over the uh, last several months. Kev, you've, you've been really a, a huge advocate of, of mixed doubles. You know, uh, in fact, you said you, you absolutely love it. You know, you think it's an important part of the game now. Why is that, Kevin? What does mixed doubles bring to curling that you think is so fantastic? Well, for young people, uh, I only played in a couple of the Continental Cups. So unfortunately, uh, Warren didn't invent it in time because I would have loved to have played it at a high level in, in something like the Olympics, but it didn't exist in time. But the, I love the fact of, of throwing the rock and, and the athleticism of throwing it, jumping up, sweeping it, judging it, calling this like mm-hmm. the whole game is is so tight as far as you and your and, and your partner um needing to do all the different aspects of the game be it the position lead the normal four-person position the assets that a lead brings a second brings a third brings and a skip brings but you don't have all those positions only two players have to bring all those assets to the table that's very unusual mm-hmm. in the sport and for a young person getting to throw jump up sweep and then the other team, and it's a real quick game, so the other team throws fast. Oh, you're back in there, you do it again. Mm-hmm. So by the end of the game, you're just sweating like crazy. And and uh, it's just, it's a fast-moving game. It's done in an hour and 20, hour and a half. You've played the game. And uh, that, you know, for many reasons, the shortness of the game, the quickness of it, the athleticism, and and just getting out and, and working up a sweat, so much fun. And I that's why I think it's a, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a strong game going into the future. I'm not sure it needs to be mixed doubles. I think it could be men's doubles and women's doubles and mixed doubles, but that's that's for an, another day. But uh, I'm looking forward to this next week or so where we can call the uh, mixed doubles games because when you're doing broadcasting, uh, it's amazing. Right away, you're into, into the end of the game. Whoa, 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 where'd the game go? It seems like a minute that right. you've been in the booth calling these games, yeah. and, it's, and it just goes by like crazy. So, uh, so much fun. I like the other thing you told me, Kev, at one time, say, watch mixed doubles, pal. And uh, just because a team is up three or four going into the last end or two, it doesn't mean <laughs> anything, okay? Because lots seems to change uh, with that game. And uh, Anyway, cool. We'll look forward to that. Uh, Warren, Beijing, bring us up to date what's going on there. Okay, well, certainly there was an interesting announcement last week, and that was the fact that uh, Oscar Eriksson out of Sweden uh, tested positive for COVID before he left the country along with their coach. Trying to find an update on that yesterday. Don't seem to know what's happened there, whether or not they've been able to go to, to Beijing or whether they haven't. So that's really important because Oscar Eriksson is probably right up there as one of the best curlers in the world. I think if you had to name the, the top five players in the world right now on the men's side, he'd have to be certainly in that group. So that's the important uh, one to watch. As mentioned... Everything will start on Wednesday. Canada has the first round by, but for those of you in Canada, the first game is going to be brought back at 7 a.m. Eastern time on Wednesday morning. Canada won't be in that draw, but if Kevin mentioned in draw two, they'll be playing Great Britain, and that's going to be probably one of the best games in the round robin of mixed doubles, so make sure you don't miss that one, and we'll be giving you all the up-to-date information on the daily draw about what happens with everything in Beijing. Warren, what time do you have me getting out of bed for these daily shows? 
Well, Jim, probably not as early as I will because I'm going to have to watch some of this stuff, and that game starts at 4 a.m. my time on Wednesday morning. So I'll give you a call when I get up. Okay. <laughs> In I'll other quit. words, pipe, I don't pipe know, guys. Down. I don't know. I don't know if I, w- I want to hear much whining here. Uh, if you're getting up to watch it, Warren, that means I'm up calling it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to mention another interesting tweet I saw yesterday. So Donna Spencer, who works with Canadian Press and has done a lot of curling coverage over the years, she put up a tweet with a picture of her hotel room. And I guess once they arrive, they they are summoned directly to their room, and they're actually taped in the room. You see this picture of, of all this tape across the door, and uh, they can't get out. They don't take the tape off until their negative test comes back. Oh, you're back. kidding me. So I thought that was, I thought that was kind of interesting. <laughs> like a crime scene when you see the room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do not enter. Uh, very good. Okay, uh, Gunner. Okay, the very imaginative uh, nickname, Kevin, for Jason Gunnison. Uh, makes sense. Warren, he's out of Manitoba, but made a very interesting announcement this week. Yeah, he put out a tweet, and I, I guess things in Manitoba have been a little iffy. That uh, playdown has been postponed and redirected. It was supposed to be, I believe, the Selkirk Arena. Now it's going into the Selkirk Curling Club. Uh, because of that, Sportsnet was supposed to cover the finals. They can't do that now in the Curling Club. And the Gunner announced yesterday that because of COVID within his own family, and his concerns for it, he simply was not going to play in the Manitoba playoffs. And he said even if he was picked as a wild card, he, he wouldn't accept it. So he's decided to pretty much pass the playdowns for this year. Didn't say anything about his team. I think he kind of suggested that if his team wants to go, that'll be up to them. But uh, he's not going to play. Wow. That's a guy who's concerned about COVID if you're passing on your provincial championship. Thanks a lot to Sports Interaction, uh, Canada's odds maker. Uh, they bring you each and every uh, show that we do this what's happening around the curling world. All right, let's move along, fellas. Hot Rock Topics. Thanks a lot to Coyote Tractor. They are a proud partner of Team Brad Jacobs and the Grand Slam of Curling. Coyote, we dig dirt. So uh, you've had some interesting communication, uh, Warren, uh, from Brad Height, who was a great player out of Saskatchewan in the 80s and 90s. Uh, He represented Saskatchewan twice and lost the Briar Final to Kerry Burtnick. I remember that name, in 1995. Here's Brad's comment. Uh, In listening to your podcast, I'm intrigued by the potential of having competing opportunities for professional teams and very high-performing amateur teams at the same time. My thought is about modeling the Briar Scotties after the now uh, League Cup in uh, English soccer, right? In the competition, all teams from Division 5 to the Premier League can enter with the higher-level teams getting a bye to the later rounds. But technically, all teams have the opportunity to win or at least experience playing the top teams. This competition runs in parallel to the Premier League season, but does not replace the Premier League Championship, which is used for the National Championship. He goes on to say, for curling, I would see the provincial championships being reserved for the top amateur teams with pre-Briar Scotty's 14-team provincial territorial playdowns being completed to identify eight teams to move on to the Briar of the Scotties. Conversely, I would send the top eight teams from the CTRS to the Briar of the Scotties to make a 16-team field with equal representation of top amateurs and professionals. This way, the pro teams could focus on the tour without needing to go through provincials, while the top amateur teams could focus on the local tours and provincials while maintaining the opportunity to play the pros at the Canadian Championships. Uh, thanks a lot, fellas. Love the broadcast. Podcast, sorry. Love the podcast from Brad. 
What's all that mean? Warren, explain it to us. Well, it's an interesting concept, and as this whole discussion continues to go on back and forth, and those for and those against the current format of the Provincial Territorial Championship, I believe what Brad has suggested is is going in the right direction. I think as we move into the future, we have to come up with probably a combination that satisfies both worlds, both sides of the fence, versus the one right now, which I don't think satisfies anyone. And uh, certainly, I think something along the line of what he's proposed could could make a lot of sense. And the fact that you continue that uh, interprovincial championship with just the 14 teams and with the residency rules in place that uh, were there a long time ago. And uh, at some point, the top amateur teams, as you suggested, or teams that come through the provincial territorial approach, get a chance to meet with the top, as he's indicated, professional teams or top competitive teams. And at that point, they play off to determine who is the Canadian champion. Something along that line, I believe, is is the direction it's got to go. But discussion needs to start to happen in, in some way, shape, or form. That The current system, uh, what they're doing, it's just broken. It's like I, I look at the situation, and I appreciate this as a COVID issue, but I'm looking at wild card one, two, and three. And going, so where is that wild card territory? And there's three of them. Uh, in no association with uh, the name of, of the team, really, until you then have to go and look it up. It's kind of you got one foot in and one foot out. You're trying to appease both sides of the fence, and as a result, you're really, to some degree, appeasing no one. But anyway, Kevin, what do you think? Well, uh, first of all, thanks, Brad, for uh, for saying this in. Of course, Brad Height and I played each other tons over the years. And with Brad Height, little story when, uh, you know, he, he always skips, and so the skip throws the rock and about halfway down the sheet and a lot of times the other skip be it myself or whoever playing against him you get in behind the other skip to look at the line and and how the rock's running you don't do that with brad height because if by chance he happened to miss he like a really big strong man he'd swing his broom around at a hundred mile an hour in a circle so if you're anywhere within well seven or eight feet from him because of the length of his arm he'd take you out not on purpose, but he just, that broom goes around like like a helicopter. I love that move. <laughs> and, and sometimes the, the helicopter actually left his hand and uh, would go through flying through the scoreboard or <laughs> you name it. It was always exciting curling against uh, Brad Height, no question, but a fantastic player. I like this idea though. So this is something I've never, I've never thought of. There's quite a few um, positives that could come out of it. I was just making a, a few notes here what Brad thinks and from the amateur side so you have your event kind of like the what the Briar the Scotties is today an amateur though event that the the traveling teams the teams that travel over the world and play on the tour and the slams and all that they're not part of it the amateur teams battle and you get your top x in Brad's case he thinks top eight fine top eight they've earned their spot in the national championship great okay but in the meantime the amateur teams have got to play more They've got to play more on good ice, trying to make it to the nationals while they're competing in this, whatever you want to call it, Canadian amateur event. Great. And from the pro side, so that's helping the amateur side, getting to play more on good ice, you know, learn the game more, and then the top eight get to go and battle the top teams, which is kind of like the Briar and Scotties today. But let's look at it from the pro team's point of view. So now you've got teams that start traveling in August, start traveling all over the world. When COVID's not around, you know, the first couple of big events are in Switzerland in August, and then you start moving around the world. There's lots of events in, in uh, Japan now and, and, and all well, everywhere, South Korea, so on, and of course in the U.S. and Canada. So you've got all these events, the pros could travel around, and then they have to come back 
and play the national championship for one event. Now, understanding you can't wear your logos, you can't do this or that, you know, that's up to them to if they want to play it or not. But otherwise, they're, they're marketing the entire year. They have the market potential wearing their sponsors, playing on, be it television or streamed now. Streaming has become such a, such a strong thing. So that's a, that's, a, that's a big plus for the pros. Whereas now, you kind of burn up for you got Christmas holidays, and then you got your provincials right after New Year's. And they take two weeks now. A lot of provincials start on the Saturday or the Sunday of the week prior, so it burns up two weeks. And then you've got the national championship, which is more than one week. It's two weeks. So you're, that's a big hole in the calendar. So I, I like this. It just makes a lot of sense for both the amateur side and the pro side. So yeah, great thinking, Brad, and we'll see how it goes. I think a big thing is it allows a lot of these up-and-coming teams an opportunity to play in a national event. In some of the provinces, I look at Manitoba right now at the women's side, and there's there's five teams there that can be considered in the top rank. Yet only one of them, under the proper circumstances, is going to play in the, in the Scotties every year. And so if you get two or three of those teams out of there, which are happening this year by uh, a number of other incidents have taken place, uh, you allow somebody like a Mackenzie Zacharias the opportunity to play in a national, which is going to give her a lot of uh, improvement in what she's doing. She wouldn't be there this year if Jennifer Jones wasn't in the Olympics, Carrie Einerson wasn't Team Canada, and Fleury hadn't stumbled in the provincials. Uh, she'd have to get through all three of those teams to get there, and, and that's highly unlikely. So I think it, it, it has two folds. It's going to help these up-and-coming teams. It also, as you suggested, Kevin, gives the, the top teams the opportunity just to play without having to go into all these various provincial playoffs, many times which they win so easily. And a good example would be Kevin Cooey this year in Alberta, that it isn't even a, a competition. So I think something along the line of what Brad has suggested is, uh, is the approach that should be considered moving forward. Uh, right on. Uh, one of the great things about curling, Kevin, uh, that I've always loved is there's many, many events that you can watch that includes both pro teams and amateurs. Brad goes on to suggest the timing of the Briar and the Scottish should be changed and that maybe the winner of the Canada Cup should represent Canada at the Worlds. Maybe a topic for another day. Uh, Kevin, what do you think of uh, what Brad's saying here? If you did change the national championship to make sure you have the top teams in it, then that's fine. The problem is, to Warren's point you just made, is that when you have a province that's super strong and you have so much depth, four, five, six top teams in it, and only one team can come out of there, uh, that doesn't make any sense. Now you've weakened your national championship. And the idea of a national championship is to get our best representative to the world championship or to the Olympic Games. And if you've left out some of the top teams, that just doesn't make any sense. So, But as long as you somehow get into the national championship, the very best teams, as long as they're all in there, then it can be a national championship. The Korean will rise to the top. We're good. But the Canada Cup, sure, that's that's another good idea. It, uh, it, as long as you get your top teams in there, it doesn't really matter. We just have to have the top teams in it. That's the that's the key. All you got to do is look at the Super Bowl, Kev, where the top teams are not going to be in the Super Bowl. Cincinnati and L.A. You know, it's uh, but it's exciting. It does make for good championships. Hey, Jimmy, what do you think? What do, hang on? What do, what do you think the Bengals had for like a snack? At halftime, uh, because we need to be able to package that up and, and give it to curlers. Like, no oh, kidding. My goodness. <laughs> it was a different Energy team bars and over. drinks. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Uh, Cincinnati hasn't won a championship in, uh, well, ever since 1912 or something, whenever <laughs> football was around. But to your point, not always the best teams win, uh, But uh, although we like to send our best to Canada, but uh, that's not always going to be the case. 
Uh, Warren, what do you think of all this? I'll sum it up very quickly by suggesting I think what uh, Brad has proposed is going in the right direction, but there needs to be a lot of discussion as to how this could all be made to work. Kevin, we might have heard Warren's shortest response ever to this topic. <laughs> that, okay, That's the quickest uh, we've ever heard. We'll be talking about that a lot. Uh, thanks a lot. Hot Rock Topics is brought to you by Coyote Tractor. We dig dirt. It's time for the mailbag. The Inside Curling Mailbag is brought to you by Boost. Up your nutrition game with Boost, convenient meal replacement drinks with a taste you're guaranteed to love. I'm a big fan. I I drink it. Today's email is from Greg Hill, and here's what he says. I love Gunners, Jason Gunnison's idea about giving the team without hammer a half a point lead. It eliminates ties and any possibility of an extra end. Furthermore, I think the stats show that at a competitive level, the team with hammer has close to a 60% chance of winning the game regardless uh, of whether it's 8 or 10 ends. This would reduce the percentage. Lastly, this would allow gambling sites to post individual games in advance to engage the sports betting public. For me, I like to put a little on the line, but I need to know who has the hammer before betting. He wants our thoughts on that. I uh, hope they try it. Enjoy the show, lads. Thank you very much. That's from Greg Hill. Kev, you go first on this. Well, it's hard to argue with the thinking behind it. Um, I'm looking, I'm trying through through my mind to picture the scoreboard with the point fives, and mm-hmm. <laughs> how's how's that not going to be confusing <laughs> right. to to the viewing audience? That's that's always like the first thing I thought right away. Went, ooh, that could be an interesting scoreboard look. But the idea of it is isn't crazy because point uh, five obviously get rid of extra ends. You couldn't have because only one team is getting the point five, right? So the other team would be an even number. It's it's kind of a neat idea as far as you know getting rid of the extra end scenario, having the hammer only worth half a point instead of of a full point, basically. Hammer matters in our wonderful sport. From a betting point of view, he's right. Um, when you've got two top teams playing each other, before you put up you know, an, an idea of who you think is going to win, you want to see who's got the hammer because mm-hmm. it, it does matter. In the uh, trials final, final between the two brads, uh, hammer matters huge. So uh, he's right. Before you put up the bets, it might be handy to... Uh, to know who has the hammer when certain teams play each other. There's other teams that gamble a lot, say like a John Epping who gambles like crazy all the time. Well, hammer's not quite as crucial because there's always a million rocks in play and, and big ends are possible. So it kind of depends on who's playing, but what a neat idea. The 0.5, it's a good idea. I'm worried a little bit about the scoreboard, communicating it to the average sports fan outside of the uh, of the top curling fans of course curling fans would understand but sports fans from around the world when you're talking about betting worldwide it might be a bit confusing warren well i haven't thought through it a lot it's uh, again one of these things that you're not going to know how it re- really works until you try it but i think it would be an interesting thing to to attempt to uh, to work through uh, you mentioned the scoreboard at point five, Kevin. Well, if you remember back in some of the original days of the Continental Cup, I think up until maybe at least 2010, we did have situations where you could win a half a point. So we, we had all those numbers to put up the uh, 1.5 or whatever the case may be. So <laughs> it's been done before. But it's a, an interesting idea, and I think one worth uh, trying out to see what does it do. But uh, thanks, uh, Greg, for that idea. Warren, how much do you think the game will change if you have an idea? I'm throwing it under the bus a little bit with with gambling coming into the game now, um, with them putting up odds and and I'm sure eventually that you'll be able to kind of bet on anything 
you know, during the game, who's going to win an end, who's going to win the game, um, you know, how, how, is it, how many ends is it going to go? Um, what, what do you think, Warren, with, with gambling coming on board now? I guess that remains to be seen. I mean, sports bet is a, is a big business, and it's going to become a much bigger business. And, of course, uh, we've got a sponsor with us that's in that business. Mm-hmm. I think because there's so many curling games out there and so much going on during the entire, entire year, there's going to be an awful lot to, to bet on. And I, I believe as it uh, gets rolling, it's going to become, I think, pretty, pretty large. It's yeah. going to probably attract more interest to curling than we already have as a result. Thanks a lot, uh, everyone, for sending us an email. We, we love them, uh, insidecurling at gmail.com. Uh, if we read your email on the show, uh, you will win an electronic version of Warren's uh, new book, Sticks and Stones. It's, it's out now, Warren, and, uh, which is the story of how curling became an Olympic sport. And, of course, the Olympics are on now, uh, and we're going to bring you daily shows uh, with updates uh, from the games. So, Greg, you win. Okay, we'll be sending you a code through email shortly. Thanks a lot. Uh, Mailbag is brought to you by Nestle Boost, and we thank those guys very much. Well, it's time for... In the house, one of our favorite segments where we have a guest. It's brought to you by Goldline Curling Equipment, and they can be found in pro shops and curling stores all around the world, plus their retail stores in Calgary, London, Scarborough, Mississauga, and two stores in Ottawa. Goldline can be found at every Grand Slam of curling event and online anytime at goldlinecurling.com. There's our guest. Come on in. Reed Carruthers. How are you, Reed? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show again, guys. Yeah, it's good. Well, you did so well the first time. You're lucky. You got to come back. So we're <laughs> we're happy to have you on. World champion, Canadian champion, world champion. This week, of course, you're in uh, Thunder Bay, the Scotties. Uh, you're there as a coach for Team Canada, Kerry Anderson. First of all, Reed, tell us how it's going. Everything's changing by the minute here with COVID. What's your setup there? What are you allowed to do? How, how's it all work from the time you get up till the time you go to bed? Yeah, we're bubbled here. We haven't had any positive cases in the bubble. As of yesterday, which was the last day that we had tests across the board, um, everyone was negative. Uh, similar setup to what we had in the Calgary bubble. And, you know, we're not, not allowed to go to anywhere other than the rink. Yeah, we're all following protocols and everything's going well so far. It's, it's unfortunate because I know Thunder Bay was really looking forward to having fans in the stands. But I think all the athletes are, are just excited to be able to play. Um, we don't want to jinx it, Reed. Do, do you have any idea, have they given you a contingency plan if someone on your team happens to get COVID, God forbid, two people do, you know, if if other teams get it, or what happens? Do they have to forfeit? Explain all that to us if you have an idea. I think it kind of depends on, um, you know, There's a, it's, it's not just like black and white. I think it would kind of depend on if your teammates would be considered close contacts and whatnot. So I think there would be a scenario where, you know, you couldn't feel the team and then at that point you would be forfeiting. But, you know, it's not something that at this point I have to worry about. And, you know, it's not like I'd have to make a decision. The decision wouldn't be in my hands. Just as athletes for us, it's just if we're experiencing symptoms and whatnot, it's not really our decision and it's not something I really am going to worry about unless unless it's something that I got to deal with. At the time we're talking to you right now, your team is 3-0. and How are you liking it so far and is it going according to plan? 
Yeah, I was added to the team quite late. Um, my provincials were actually supposed to run during the same time as the Scotties. And when, when they had asked me a couple weeks prior to coming here, um, my provincials were still scheduled during the Scotties. So I, I told them, look, like something I'm interested in, but I, I can't do it. And then, of course, like the Monday after they had asked me, it, our provincial dates got moved and then it became, you know, more of a reality. Uh, so we've been, we worked hard leading up in that two weeks coming to here as a group, lots of practices, as many as we could. I would say so far out of the gates, uh, this team has not played a game since trials. Uh, you know, we had the slam that was canceled in January. So there was some rust that, that I was a little bit concerned about trying to shake. Our first end of the first game wasn't very good, but since then, I feel like the girls have been really sharp and, and we're starting to get back into uh, competition mode. Cool. Kevin? Hey, yeah, Reed. Um, I guess first question, you know, it's a big deal to get a, an opportunity to go with Team Canada. How long have you coached? I know you've, you've been helping kids a lot through your summer camp, but how, how much coaching have you done to have the opportunity? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So for me, you know, I get asked uh, quite a bit to come out and work with teams and practices. So I would say now it's it's going on about 10 years of me actually working with teams. I haven't had a full-time coaching gig because it's just literally impossible while curling and competing myself. But I have taken on the role of working with some women's teams and then some junior men's teams in Manitoba, never a team outside of the province, but I have worked with not, uh, numerous teams uh, in years previous. So, so coaching isn't something that's completely French to me. It's, it's something that I've done, you know, you mentioned the camps, but working with a team of this high caliber athletes, yeah, this is a huge honor and a huge responsibility. And I'm just, I'm having a absolute blast. Yeah, so that kind of gets to my next question of of your responsibilities. What are your roles on this team? Because like you say, you came on a little bit late and you're you're dealing with a team that's <laughs> that's won a lot. Yeah. So I, I guess it's a matter of what do they expect out of you, I guess, uh, in your in your role as coach? Yeah, you know, and first when they first asked me, I I wasn't sure that my role would be as big as what it currently feels. They've literally handed me the keys and said, "Look, we want to we want a little refresher, hit us with some of your ideas and thoughts. So, you know, we've been, we've been working on a whole bunch of things leading up to the event in that limited time. But um, I would say my role with them is, is very, very much alike what they've had with coaches in the past where, you know, I'm running team meetings pre and post planning our schedule for who's throwing the draw of the button, the off ice management of, you know, making sure our team is taken care of from like a sports science perspective, you know, and even the nutrition. Um, so yeah, it's, it's busy. Uh, it's actually amazing how busy I've been these first like four days of this event. Um, it feels way more taxing than what it did even as an athlete. You know, before I let Warren in here, just one more thing with the with watching, it seems to be a little unpredictable what's happening uh, so far. Uh, well, not with Team Canada, but with uh, quite a few of the shots, some of the games. What's it like out on the ice as far as conditions go when you're talking about the ice conditions? And, uh, and of course, no crowd, right? So that's something different for the ice makers to deal with, especially in a place like Thunder Bay that would be filled right to the rafters. And then with the stones, because it just seems to be some kind of odd flashes of open hits and some weird stuff that uh, at a national championship usually isn't the case. I actually feel like our team is is liking the ice. There's some, obviously some, it's, I wouldn't say patchy, but there's patterns to the ice that I feel like our team has picked up on and we've been spending a lot of time talking about. 
And I would say that from what I've seen, some of the other teams maybe haven't quite picked up on that. So ice reading is one of the skills that I think that some of the veteran teams may have that upper hand on. So I, I kind of feel comfortable with how the ice is and, and our team obviously is feeling comfortable with it as well. So as Kevin suggested, seemingly draws are an issue with a lot of these teams. I, I, all of a sudden I look up and there's a, a draw for two or three and boom, it's sailing through the house. And you don't see anything that's strange happening there that's causing that, or that's just uh, maybe a little rust on some of these teams? Yeah, it could be could be rust on some of the teams. Um, you know, I've been really focused on what my team's doing, uh, and we're still getting the odd miss here and there. Uh, I definitely think that with some of the patterns in the ice where you're, where you're throwing draws, you're seeing differences in speeds, whether the rock's crossing the center line. That would be one of the patterns that I think that we've picked up on that maybe some of the other teams haven't quite noticed is where and why there's a little bit of difference. And I've been in the ice maker's ear as much as I can to try to learn um, so that I can share that info with my team. So without question, the Einerson team right now, from what I've seen, is the class of the field, uh, particularly Val Sweeting. She's playing outstanding from what I've witnessed. And of course, some of the other top teams have got some challenges. Uh, Flurry team coming up with uh, Tracy with COVID. Miscu taking over the Holman team. Two people just trying to get their legs as skips. And as a result, a couple of uh, surprising things have taken place so far. But as we start to move forward here, who do you think besides uh, your, your foursome Maybe the teams that hit the final four, we could say even the final six at this stage. Who do you think is a, a good bet right now to be in that uh, final playoff? Yeah, there's there's some great teams here. You know, a couple are missing their skips. You know, we got Selena and Selena and Emma on the TV. You know, as the week gets on and they get comfortable in that skipping role, they're going to be two teams that are very difficult to beat because they're already tough as it is. I'm also looking at uh, Team Laura Walker. They're a team that's been beating on the drum for the last couple of years. Had a great Scotties last year. A very good team. Play them today, and I, I know I know we're going to have to play really well to beat them. I would also say like Krista McCarvel is a team that I've always like as a as a curling fan and you know a watcher of the Scotties. I've I've always enjoyed watching her play. I feel like she's feeling. It looks like she's pretty relaxed out here, so that would be another team that would be tough to beat as the as the week goes on, because I don't think she's feeling the pressure all that much. She looks pretty cool out there. Let's talk about the playoff system. It's just kind of interesting, because I look at two pools of nine. Should shake out perfectly for a page playoff. One plays one, two plays two, and so on and so forth. Yet we've got six teams qualifying, and what Kevin and I have looked at said, well, you need a degree to figure out exactly what's going on there. What do you think of the playoff system? Would, would you prefer to see it a, a page uh, straight to top two teams out, or do you think it's better to have uh, three teams out out of each pool? To be honest, as soon as they went to 18 teams, I expected the format to be the same as last year. There's been a couple changes that were thrown at us that were, I would say, a little bit of a head scratcher, even down to the draw of the button, the format of the draw of the button. I had my team practicing for, for the format of throwing on both sides of the sheet, we ran three practices, practicing the practice, and then all of a sudden I got a document saying that you're going to be drawing on the same side. So I guess I'd say I'm not surprised that there was changes, but at the same time, I don't think that any of the, well, I'm, I'm not sure about the other teams, but I know our team was, was a little bit surprised by the format of the playoffs. But it is what it is, and we're just going to try to get out here and win a national championship. What happens after, after the end of round one? You know, I haven't examined it all, all that much because 
I'm focused on one thing and it's just trying to prepare the girls to win some games. So I try not to sweat the little things like that and prepare as best as I can just to help them. I suppose a lot of these changes are coming on the fly to some degree with, with the adjustments constantly being made, but has anybody suggested to you why they've done these things differently or is it just uh, appears and you move ahead? Yeah, appears appears and move ahead. Um, you know, and not like with, with so little time, um, you know, there was... There was obviously some legit concerns that we weren't even going to be here this week. You know, getting clearance for this event was was like a last minute thing. So we're happy to be here and and we're we're ready for anything that's going to be thrown at us. Were you surprised the decision uh, for the weekend where 500 people could be allowed in, but uh, they decided not to have anyone attend? Yeah, that was that was something that I that I read in an article too. I just thought it a point of hearing that it was a bubble it was it was going to be a bubble the whole time and and obviously like we we love the fans so if they thought that they were able to do it in a safe way i think my team was all for it um but yeah i wasn't expecting it so i also wasn't surprised when they decided against it it just it seemed like let's let's try to just make this run successfully unfortunately our fans are going to have to watch from tv but we got some great coverage coverage so Hopefully uh, the product for TV is is uh, going to entertain the fans as much as we can. I feel like, you know, at this point in the pandemic, we kind of just have to get used to that. By the way, I know the answer to that. Uh, what sort of playoff format, uh, Reed? do you want, If whether you should have two teams from each pool or three teams? If you placed third in your pool, you sure want to hope it's three teams from each pool, which uh, you guys certainly won't. Um, this coaching, the, the, the coaching deal is interesting, what you said about this thing. That's, you know, relatively new. You weren't sure what to expect. You know, what, what makes a good coach read? What's the tar- toughest part of it? You know, this is a three-parter. If, if someone wanted to get into coaching, what would you tell them? Give us your, give us your overall on that uh, with, with coaching and what, what you find different and perhaps the hard part about it. I think with coaching is, you know, having to be understanding and putting yourself in, in the athlete's shoes uh, and, you know, playing Switzerland at times where, you know, you might be in the middle uh, middle of something, you know, some sort of team disagreement um, that arises. I know like on my, on my men's team, you know, you're constantly managing things like we're, you know, you're almost like family and brothers. So you're, you're, you're going to get at each other once in a while. So the, the coaches, and I know on my men's team, it's more of like a, a man and manager style coach. And, and you know, Rob uh, Meekin does a fantastic job of, of keeping our strong personalities at bay and trying to accomplish the goal. And I think with these girls, like I'm, I'm new to the role. Um, you know, I was brought on for the Scotties. Um, you know, I'm not their full-time coach moving forward. I would be like the interim head coach. Uh, but with these girls, you know, I've... I've just been trying to hit them with ideas that maybe they they haven't heard from from previous coaches and trying to get the most out of them. You know, they're they're exceptional athletes in fantastic shape. How they approach the game from what I I think like my men's team does is slightly different and unique and great. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm trying to mold a little bit of what I do with my men's team with what they do and and hopefully like that hybrid model is something that's that's really successful for this team and you know if someone were wanting to get into coaching you know like helping out at at clinics and whatnot is like a great stepping stone uh working with the juniors is, is a great starting point there really cannot be enough help for the juniors so that would be that would be a really good starting point is you know even just volunteering at your local junior program 
you know, on a weekly routine, even like as an older junior, that was something that I did is, is working with the younger juniors. And that's kind of what developed this coaching bug bug for me. Let's uh, talk about your curling for a moment. You've been uh, alluding to that. So you're playing with Mike McCune and the Manitoba Provincials that I, I know have uh, been scheduled, rescheduled, were to be in an arena now, apparently going into a curling club. But I thought an interesting announcement yesterday from Jason Gunlinson, who is certainly one of your top competitors in Manitoba, that he is not going to go into playdowns because of his concerns about COVID. Uh, what do you think of that uh, declaration by Jason? Yeah, I was. Um, I think a lot of us were shocked by the announcement, but at the same time, like I'm not surprised. I can't really talk too much as to why Jason said or or took the stance that he is. You know, like it's it sounds like that statement to me, like it's it's personal choice whether or not someone wants to compete. And he obviously probably put a lot of thought into what that meant for, for him and his teammates. And it was obviously a really difficult decision for him as he alluded in his post. But aside from that, like for, for our team, like we still don't know what the protocols are going to be for our provincials. So you know, there might be other players that ha- that take a similar stance to to Jason uh, when we find the results of that out. Like I know in some of the provincials, they tried to run like a bubble, and it may or may not have worked. So I'm interested to see what Curl Manito- Manitoba says, and you know, for our own team, you know, we'll make a decision from there. But at this point, you know, we're all planning on curling and trying to win a Manitoba title, and hopefully we can do that safely. So I should mention that it was Jason himself who said he wouldn't play. He did not speak on behalf of his team, so I guess that's still unknown. The team may go without him, I I would gather from what was said. Is that your assumption? Uh, yeah, like assumption, right? So I, I haven't I haven't spoken to the to the guys. You know, they're, they're friends of mine. They are our direct competitor. They are still the defending champion from the first year of the quad. Um, when we did have a provincial, so for that team, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure um, how they will continue on, but we're going to find out shortly because uh, our provincials are coming up uh, starting on the ninth. Pretty quick. Who else do you look at as sort of being your your main concerns at the provincial level besides Jason? Yeah, we have uh, well, we got a big field. There's 28 teams, so there's there's a few of the teams that uh, qualify for the Grand Slams. We got Braden Calvert's team. Is a great young team uh, in the pre-trials. Um, there was a few Manitoba teams as well. Sean Grassy was a team that's qualified. Um, Pat Simmons was skipping some of Matt Dunstone's former teammates with Colton Lott, as everyone would know, and Kyle During. So that's a team that that will be tough to beat as well. And uh, you know, you got some of the perennial guys like uh, Willie Lybern that are always tough to beat as well. Hey, Reed. Yeah, you're kind of a unique curler. You've had good success at uh, at second, at third, and at skip. And uh, so I'd like to hear from your uh, point of view. What's your favorite of all three? You played played them all a lot over the years. I've actually played every position in the Briar, Kevin. I didn't know you played lead. When did you play lead? Yeah, when when Jeff decided uh, he wanted me to try out lead, we put Mark Nichols at second. Don't blame him. Mark's a heck of a shooter. <laughs> so the last year of uh, the last year of that quad, I played lead at the briar in Kamloops, and i had a blast like it's it's a great position um i've really enjoyed all positions on the curling team and it's been a really good learning curve i think even when i went back to skipping after playing with jeff i felt like playing front end was was a really good thing for me for for understanding you know and being a better teammate and even being a better leader in skip 
just because, you know, I understand the emotions of what you go through at the other end when you don't have that last rock in control. So I would say that uh, skip is probably my favorite position, but I've, I've really enjoyed the other ones. Third has probably been the toughest one. I've always, I've found that going from being the leader to going to second was unique because, you know, I didn't really have to say too much. I let kind of the back end do most of the thinking and talking, especially with John and, and Jeff as, uh, as my back end. But at third, it's really unique because you're not really the leader out there, but you have to try to say things to help your skip out when required. So it's been, it's been an interesting role. It's, it's almost been easier to play second than play third, but I have really enjoyed it as well. And working with Mike has been, it's been a blast for both of us. It's been tough at times, but um, you know, it's, it's been a really cool role to play, especially the shots. I played quite a bit of different shots that I'm not normally uh, get to play. You know, and thanks for saying that because, you know, something that we harp on during our curling academies, and I'm sure you do as well with the young players, when they come in, you know, one's a skip or a third. Well, no, I, I don't need to worry about sweeping. I, I'm a skip. Well, <laughs> well, hang on here. You might get a phone call from the best junior curler in your province to come and play for them. And you might all of a sudden be a lead or a second or a third. You never know where you're going to end up. So this is great to hear from you that the different roles that you need to to be able to excel at at whatever position it is depending on the on the position you're put in depending on the strength of team you're on so that's great to hear because i don't know uh, you must talk to the kids about that too being uh, ready to play at whatever position is necessary oh yeah 100 percent and and just the importance of every position now I feel like you can't hide a second uh, anymore right so so just especially with five rock rule and you know now we have seconds playing ticks and then the next shot they're playing a run back the next end they could be playing two freezes so yeah every every position is just ultra important especially with the level of fitness going up across the board over the last few quadrennials um, it's been very evident how important every position is yeah, you and I, read. we get talking about, about coaching and uh, we go on forever. I wanted to ask you one more thing and then we'll let Jimmy in. With sweeping uh, in these days with the kids, how much emphasis are you putting on making sure that they can go uh, closed both ways, left hand down and right hand down versus staying on the one side all the time? I wouldn't say I'm putting huge emphasis on that. Like I'm, I'm a very firm believer, so just from my own, you know, leaving juniors, going to men's, like I was never one of the favorites in, in Manitoba junior curling. You know, I won one provincial, but I tried for years. And some of the guys that I've been playing against, you know, gave up the game. And so I'm a very firm believer that, you know, in juniors, it's it's the stepping stone. It's it's about having fun, you know, getting into competitive play, but so that hopefully you continue on with curling and make it a lifelong lifelong sport. I don't really focus too, too much on close or open in particular with the, with the juniors, uh, unless they're, you know, really high profile athlete teams and, and really trying to go for maybe like a provincial or, or national team. From what we know about sweeping now, um, teaching them more about directional sweeping and mastering that, I think they're going to get more out of whether they're closed or, or open. Cool. Thanks. Manitoba has been pumping out great curlers uh, for years, and now they're uh, now they're they're starting to get really good coaches. Reed, you're uh, you're you're three and zero. Oh. You haven't had a loss yet. Before we go, Reed, Kevin and myself and Warren have uh, one question for you. How do we stop sculling our chips? 
around the green. Okay, you're you're a, you're a really good golfer. Okay, I keep flipping my hands, Reed, and I skull it. Well, you picked the the wrong shot to ask about because uh, I may be a six <laughs> cap, but that's probably my weakness too. Okay, all right. We'll find. We yeah. need a coach. We all yeah. need a coach. Uh, <laughs> Reed, thanks a lot, man. Uh, congratulations on a on a fantastic career, and and congratulations on on out of the out of the blocks here, uh, being a really good coach. So. Uh, good luck the rest of the week, uh, Reed. We appreciate you taking the time to jump on. Ah, thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure as always. Hey, thanks, Reed. See you, Reed. Okay, take care, guys. Thanks, Reed. Good okay. luck. Thank you. Bye. Story time brought to you by Meridian Manufacturing, your industrial and on-farm storage and handling partners and proud sponsor of the Grand Slam of Curling. Kev, you're, you're going to change your story from what you've heard today? Ah, yes, yes, yes. I was all excited. I had a story ready to go. And then you, you t- <laughs> Warren brought up the, uh, the idea of taping the door so people couldn't right. get out uh, during uh, the quarantine time in, in Beijing. That brought right away brought me back to uh, un- uh, back into college curling. Mm-hmm. So this is, uh, would have been my last year at Nate curling for jewels. And he really wanted to win Alberta and go to the, go to the Canadians. And we were in the final the next morning. Um, but I met this cute blonde named Shauna, who of course we've been married a long time now, over 30 good years, yeah, good, but okay. this is where, this is where we met and, and they're out having fun. So of course uh, I want to go out and have fun and I get to, you know, and just, just met this person. And anyway, uh, Jules won't, doesn't want me to go out and have fun. So kind of like the tape on the door that, uh, <laughs> that's been happening. Jules put a chair in front of my door <laughs> at the hotel <laughs> and he sat there all night. He wouldn't let me out. I couldn't get out of my room to go and to go and spend time with Shauna. So, and the women, the women's team, Shauna was on the women's team and they were playing the next day in the final. And of course they had lots of fun and uh, they were a little tired going into their game. And uh, I was fresh as a daisy <laughs> because I wasn't allowed out. And so we ended up winning and going to, uh, and going to the Canadians in, in Brandon that year. But, you know, as soon as I heard that, I started laughing because that's exactly, well, it wasn't exactly, we, Jules didn't use tape, but he used his chair in front of the door. So I couldn't get out of the hotel room and we ended up winning. So I guess good coaching in, in fact. Yeah, there you go. Uh, it reminds me of a great story, fellas. Glenn Sather, you know, when he called a curfew on guys when they're on the road, okay, everyone had to be in their rooms at 11. He said this became a bit of a pain in the butt because he'd have to go knock on 20 different doors to make sure everyone was in by 11. So what he did is he set a kid up with a hockey stick in the lobby of the hotel, and he said, you got to be there by 11 o'clock and, and get all the autographs of guys who come into the lobby of the hotel. <laughs> so then he would come down a quarter after 11, grab the stick from the kid, and look at the names that were on there. Okay, they're in, and the names that weren't. He knew they had busted curfew. So, smart <laughs> it's idea. It's a great idea. <laughs> Isn't that brilliant? Yeah, that's absolutely brilliant. Uh, very good. Story time brought to you by Nestle Boost. Thanks a lot uh, to them and all our sponsors. And w- we appreciate uh, you guys listening. And we encourage you to support our sponsors as they are supporting curling. Okay, boys inside curling, we're reaching out to curling clubs all over the world inviting you to connect with us, contact us, and we'll set up a Zoom call. 
the three of us have uh, we've done you know several of these over the last little while uh, but we're doing it on a limited basis uh, to see how it goes um, and if this is something we do on a continual basis down the road so get a hold of us and we'll set up a zoom call with your club also rod paulson thanks a lot in-house strategies is his company uh, out of winnipeg and uh, he's doing great work on our facebook page and also our facebook group that we have uh, sign up for it if you're not already we, we keep growing this thing uh, in the last week or two we've had another 500 people sign up if you're one of those again thanks very much if not Sign up, join the conversation, uh, and Warren spends a lot of time on that uh, and responding to a bunch of that. We appreciate it. InsideCurling at gmail.com. Uh, Warren, your new book, bring us up to date. How's it going? Sticks and stones? Well, it's out there. Uh, who knows yet, but uh, certainly we'd like to encourage everybody to, to have a look at it. Hope you enjoy it. So as announced, uh, Warren, you're going to start to give away some of these books. If we read your email, you're going to get a copy. Uh, the new member who puts up a post on our Facebook group that gets the most comments will also get a book. Uh, for more information about the book, go to warrenhansenauthor.com. Oh, I could think of some comments I could put up there, Warren, that would get some reaction. But I'm sure you do, uh, Jim. Not a good idea. Yeah, not a good idea. <laughs> so there we go. But uh, finally, we want to remind you, big week, big couple of weeks of curling starting February 1st. And every day uh, during the games, we will be bringing you Daily Draw, which is going to give us uh, up-to-date information on what's going on. We're going to do, like I say, it's going to be each and every day. It'll probably get out by about 1 o'clock Eastern. Also, you can start to bet, okay, if you don't like the And I love the action, Kev. Do you like the action, Kev, a little bit? You probably play for a few bucks when you golf and stuff. Oh, uh, oh, oh, you have to when you when you golf. We uh, <laughs> yeah, we put some birdie birdie pot together and uh, yeah, and see who can get the most birdies and which birdies and if you can get the only birdie and yeah, fun fun stuff like that. This summer, uh, Warren, uh, Kevin, let's get Hanson down here and we'll try and take some of that cash. That he has. <laughs> we'll do a play game of golf. Thanks a lot, everybody. Uh, thank you, Warren. Uh, thank you, Kevin. Uh, stay tuned, everybody, for the daily shows coming up. Over the next couple of weeks uh, with the games, we're really excited about it. Uh, Scotty's is, we're in the middle of it right now, so we'll be talking about that and a lot more on our next episode of Inside Curling. Good luck, Kev, this week. Take it easy, Warren. Hey, thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jeff.